HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Cerise Zelenitz. We'll talk to Cerise about art, wine, and her new natural wine bar. We will taste a special cuvee made for Cerise's new bar by Joe Swick. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Vermont-born Cerise Zelenitz headed to Paris after high school to study at the Parsons School of Design. She stayed in Paris for a while and also did a residency in Spain before returning to New York. Um, Cerise makes jewelry, clothing, and is a prolific illustrator. Her work has appeared in The New Yorker, Paris Review, Nylon Magazine, to name a few, and has designed menus and wine labels for numerous clients. Cerise recently published her first book, The Sound of Scrambled Eggs. So, the question is, with all that going on, why did she open a natural wine bar? I guess we're going to find out. Welcome to the Great Nation, Cerise. Thank you for coming in. All right, so we're talking to Cerise live. We're at the Heritage Radio Network Studios at Roberta's in Bushwick. Cerise's new wine bar is not far from around the corner. All right, Cerise, a lot of people may have come across you through your work, your illustrations, New Yorker, that ain't no chump magazine, (laughs) Um, some of your jewelry, clothing, art, and all of that. So they may have seen that, but I'm not sure they know much about you. So give me a little background on your life in art, wine, and life 
that got you to where we are today, which is about a month into a new wine bar. All right. So big let's question. see. Big question. Um, so from the beginning, I was born and raised in Vermont, small town. My parents are both New Yorkers. Um, I ended up spending a lot of time in the city as a kid. Um, Can I interrupt for a second? Sure. New Yorkers, why did they go to Vermont? They were both language teachers, and they went to the School for International Training and decided to raise my sister and I in the in the countryside. Okay. So that's how you got there. That's how I got Grew there. Grew up there. Continue. Grew up there. Went to a hippie, hippie high school on a farm. Ended up getting very into art and fashion. Um, and then straight after, decided to move to Paris. Um Maybe it's because my parents gave me a French name, but I developed this love for French culture and um, ended up getting into the Parsons program there. So I moved straight out of high school, um, studied fashion and fine art for two years there, and then came back to New York to finish finish the Parsons program and um, graduated in menswear did that for a little bit, decided that industry wasn't really for me, um, did copywriting for a little bit. The industry or menswear in that industry? Just fashion, fashion. Um, design. There was a lot of um, just unfulfillment for me in the, in the process of your idea and what actually materializes from it. Um, so I moved into copywriting just because I found this opportunity at a company that I liked and um, got more into writing in general. I've always loved words and worked with words in my art, but um, but yeah, did that for a while. Realized anything in the fashion industry wasn't for me, and I just okay. quit. Um, and four I, years of Parsons down the four toilet. Four years of Parsons, I Not know. Really, but go ahead. Don't know what I'm doing now, but um. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, I, I quit. Didn't know what I was going to do. I just started drawing again because I had always loved it. Um, started posting drawings and paintings, and it turned into um, a sort of career where people started asking me to do illustration for them. Organically? And, yeah. Just people you knew and they would see stuff? Yeah, I mean, I was posting on Instagram and okay. my first social media. First, helps. yeah, social media. My first big illustration project was this. This model aging agency asked me to do all of their show cards for them, so I did like twenty portraits. Um, and then, yeah, just a lot of outreach, building client base, working with new people, branding, and um, just for context. When was that? How long back are we talking? Um, this was like four years ago. Okay, not that long not ago. Not that long ago, yeah. yeah. Um, seems like a long time to me. But <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was doing illustration, and I, I started bartending on the side just because I was working by myself all day, and I wanted something social to do. And it was either I would go sit at the bar and sketch, or I could go work there make and money, make yeah. money. Um so my first bartending job was a dive bar, and I just... In New York? In New York. 
Um, still there? It's still there. Okay. Um, yeah, I ended up making friends with people in natural wine and getting into that world and working at a natural wine bar um, after the pandemic shut down. And, and so I guess more generally, um, but yeah, I was working with Oddfellows um, doing illustration and murals they for them. They were a client, they were friend a client, client. Yeah, and we just ended you, up... That was a major thing. You did a mural for a retail location? Yeah, I did. I The first piece I did was I did three drawings for one of their shops, and then I ended up doing two larger wall murals, and then I went to Boston because they opened a location there, and I ended up doing a mural there, and that's sort of when the idea of cherry on top started all right don't go any further with that just a couple of questions Mm -hmm. um when was that that was a year or two ago yeah so this was like i guess a year before shutdown when does when do the magazines start taking your artwork and when do you start you know getting into some of these really nice publications when is that that um man my sense of time is very skewed right well now. we've had a pandemic for 16 yeah. 18 months yeah. did it happen during that it, or was, before. it no, was before it was before all right so a couple years yeah you started seeing your work in really yeah. cool places and that's got to help your yeah i mean ego and and you know your recognition yeah. too well i had yeah I all had right these... so that brings us up to current all right so Growing up in Vermont, being in New York, opening a wine bar, those are all very curious things to me. <laughs> um, so did Vermont give you like a certain perspective or that was the reason you got the hell out of there and went to Paris? And if your parents were New Yorkers, they weren't typical of Vermonters, so they had to be no. kind of hip. And if they sent you to like some hippie high school, that means that falls under their sensibilities. So what did they have influences you on you growing up? And what, what did Vermont do mm-hmm. for you? Growing up in Vermont's different than growing up on the Upper West Side. Oh, we yeah. both know that. Yeah. So what effects did those things have? Yeah, I mean, my parents had a huge effect. Um, they have always been focused on travel. They they moved to China when they were younger to teach English. My mom was in the Peace Corps. My dad was a travel agent. So I've always grown up with this sense of, like, wanting to explore different cultures. Um, and they're both very, very protective, maybe overprotective um, parents. So I, I, like, it's funny because my mom was always, like, stay home don't go to the party um i was a day student at a boarding school so i lived with my parents well, I, I don't get that like what what did that do that wasn't socializing you didn't matter to her she sensed it didn't matter to you well it's just usually funny when you're not invited to a party your parents feel as bad as you do yeah it's like how come you didn't get invited well it's it's funny because like she was so afraid of me doing anything but then as soon as I was like I want to move to Paris when I'm 17 she was like you should go like go get this experience she could because it's so important to her that's um, fairly radical though yeah Paris at 17 so she, yeah. she rallied but she, towards moved, the end. She, she went to the Peace Corps straight after college so um but so that I mean for for them to allow me to do that was life-changing I think 
Um, I think growing up in Vermont, I was definitely like ready to get out of it. But now thinking about it, I'm so grateful for that because I definitely like have this connection to nature and and earth and land that appreciation. Yeah, and now like being in in the wine world, it's that's where wine comes from. It's not about this trendy New York experience. It's about the farmers and the land. And I grew up like milking cows and gardening and that's what's important to me and that's why I love it. It's not the cool trends and the cool bars. It's about the storytelling and the and the people behind it. Um so what natural wine and I hate that category, but guys mm-hmm. who are sustainable, regenerative, organic, biodynamic, what they're doing, you have a even bigger appreciation because mm-hmm. you grew up yeah. in a state and an environment, you know, where it was always around you, which is really nice. Um, didn't you have a grandmother in New York? Didn't you sort of have a connection? You weren't shut out. Oh, yeah. I, I would guess that you love seeing her or Doug being in New York. I mean, how did that work out? Yeah, I mean, I, I live in my grandparents' old apartment still, which is where my mom grew up and... Um, it's in the Lower Wait, East Side. That apartment that your grandparents have is where they raised your mom. Mm-hmm. Oh, so it's yeah, like there's still scribbles underneath the table that my mom did when she really? was two years so old. Really, that's so cool. Yeah, that definitely played a part in a lot of my artwork. Um, my whole thesis collection and fashion was based on my grandfather's wardrobe. It was like describe very... that to me. Well, why are you even bringing that up? It's just, it's impacted everything. The color scheme for Cherry on Top is also based on that. But was he sort of this outwardly dressing type guy? Very, they were both characters. My my grandmother grandmother was a big shopper and she always bought him suits and he didn't wear them all. But when I moved in, the closets were just full of all these like amazing vintage suits and... um, Yeah, like I found old Givenchy wool three-piece and... Pinstripe and seersucker and just like every possible. That stuff seems more interesting than just like the type of Tom Brown straight navy yeah. suits now. Yeah, it's you know, it's, a lot of character. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, so that was a nice connection. Did you go to New York a lot? I did. I mean, we visited as you got older. I guess did you go on your own more? Or? Yeah, I mean. I grew up, like, every big holiday we spent with my grandparents until they passed away, and um, I ended up interning in New York in high school for Diane von Furstenberg. Um, so I was staying in the apartment with my grandfather at the time, which is the first time I spent a good amount of time by myself in the city. Um, and, I mean, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, like, thinking about it in different chapters of yeah. my life. Because as a kid, it was like, we would go to Macy's during Christmas time. New York stuff. And New York stuff. Um, but it we, was a good wraparound to everything else. Yeah. Being in Vermont. And yeah, it was always very exciting to like go to the, the big city. We'd go to Broadway. We'd um, eat at the, the restaurant in the Twin Towers for like every New Year's. Windows on the world? Windows on the world. Really? I would wear my like little white velvet dress that I loved. <laughs> You don't um, still have it, do you? I don't think so. No. Um, <laughs> you got your grandfather's suits, but yeah, not the little white velvet dress. Not the dress. That's but... pretty cool. So New York had a pretty good influence. Um, 
let's talk about your work a little, you know, because you kind of guided us along about when you started drawing how and what you did. Um, I looked at a lot of your work, and to me, it has an emotion. Uh, there's definitely a humor to it, visually and in some of the writing parts, and definitely a satire. Um, there's also, and you said this before, but I wrote it down in my There's a connection between the words and the images. You know, sometimes it's too obvious. Other times, like, what's going on here? With you, I mean, I think that's an important part. So this is not a question I love to ask. It's, it's, it's very broad. That's why I don't like to ask mm -hmm. it. But you did a little, but let's describe your work. Let's talk about some of the mediums. Um, and where some of the inspirations came from. And you did talk about it a little. Mm -hmm. I mean, just looking in your grandfather's closet was an inspiration. Yeah. But if people's eyes are closed and they've never seen your stuff like I have, I, I mean, talk to me about, you know, what the work is, where it is now, you know, where it came from. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think going to fashion school was definitely a big influence. Um, I love doing portraits. I started out doing portraits and a lot of line drawings. I've always loved the movement of lines and... Um, Who, when you say I love the movement of lines, I should know this, but there should be, there is artists that influence you were there, you know, that you look back to, that yeah. relate to, like who? I mean, the whole like surrealist movement, okay. Dali, and then Egon Schiel was a big Shows influence. Shows in your work. And, um, yeah, and then a lot of children's book authors and illustrators. Like the Shel like Silversteins and all the illustrations. Winsteig, yeah. Um, when you drew portraits... Did people say, wow, these are great? Or did they say, what is this? Who is that? I mean, well, did you did you feel like you had it? I think my... So I, when I started drawing and posting things on social media, I went through this phase of doing, like, imagined portraits, people that just came to my head. And then I would write these captions that were a little snippet about them that came from nowhere. And I think that sort of got some people's attention because it <laughs> didn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> and they're like, that works. Like, this is funny, but I don't know what's going on. Right, and, but that works. Yeah. That so that's sort of how I started. And I, I still love just imagination. Um, I think it's it plays a big part in everything I do is just, like, having fun with things and even taking on more serious subjects. But having a sense of humor about it. Um, and with my, my with my portraits, too, they're obviously not realistic. Um, they're very sort of exaggerated. And, right. Um, that's sort of something I developed in art school. I right. had this teacher who, it, yeah. yeah. I, had a, I had a drawing teacher who, at one point, <laughs> I remember we were doing figure drawing, and he was like, do whatever you want, whatever comes to your head. So I was doing these distorted sort of figures with stippling and different colors and he just walks what up to stippling? me what is stippling like dots oh, like okay. shading with dots right, right. um is that like roy lichtenstein is no is a stippler I mean, different that's a that's like a pop art thing yeah, yeah it's like more pointillism right um 
which I was very into back then. But yeah, he just walked up and stood behind me and just like looked at me and looked at the page and just like had this sort of furrowed brow. And I was like, what? He's like, <laughs> he's like, you're really weird. And I was like, thank you. He's like, I mean, it's, it's better than me calling you normal. I'm like, that's, I think so. that's true. I think so. Um, but he was, I mean, he was a big influence. And like he kind of let you go. Yeah, he was, I mean, he was, I think all my teachers in Paris were very open and just sort of, they taught more how to bring out the most creative version of yourself and not necessarily, like we learned technique, but it was also about driving force and... Do you think being in Paris versus, let's say, New York City, you know, had an effect, maybe a, a discernible or positive effect, you oh, yeah. know, being there? I think it, I mean, it. I would be a completely different person if I didn't move there. I think the whole lifestyle, the whole culture, I don't think I would be into wine if I didn't move there. Okay. I think the whole cafe culture and... And sitting around with friends and talking about actual subjects and philosophy and art and um, that sort of mindset of so you Paris, don't need a plan. It's very full, like whatever happens, happens. and Less stressful about it. Yeah, it's intense. not super scheduled. Yeah. I think New York is very, Yeah, everyone has a plan, everyone has a schedule, a sense good, of time. It's a good time for that. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I love not knowing what's going to happen. That's... When I was working Got a good as a copywriter at a desktop, I mean, it's it's still scary, but I'd rather not know than know every second of my entire life and be stuck in in a job that I, I don't like and know exactly. I like that, what I'm and if you can handle it, um, go back to the art for a second. So you did portraits, you did a lot of line drawing, illustrations, but you did get into some other uh, mediums. I mean, we did yeah. talk earlier about murals. Yeah. Um, jewelry, clothing. I mean, I mean, I don't know if that was major, but you did or do it, right? Well, I'm always, I love experimenting with new materials. And um, I've done a lot of watercolor, which is one of my favorite mediums. Fashion, clothing, I've been doing since I was in high school. Um, and just working with fabric, um, I still love. But... But yeah, I think I, I started out in, in line drawings. I did a lot of painting. I did a few few gallery shows in New York. And then I I wanted to get into cartoons because the New Yorker was like the ultimate goal for you me. You did it. And took a while, but, but yeah. I, um, so are you on their list? Like, is it they rule the world and they'll let you know? Or because you've been there and have some type of relationship? that you could submit stuff or stay in touch or they come to you? I mean, how's that work? I'm, Wouldn't you love to have another illustration coming up? Like, Oh, yeah. I mean, you can submit to them anytime. Um, so all of the work I've done for them, besides one panel cartoon, has been um, a Shouts piece, which it's funny. I actually got in touch with them because I was making these little anti-Trump pins during the first <laughs> election, and... I was selling them through Instagram, and one of their uh, cartoonists who's Saw done it. a lot for them reached out and asked me about merchandising, <clears throat> asked if we could have a call, and I was like, if we can have a call about being a New Yorker cartoonist, 
and she ended up telling me um, they do open calls every week. You can just come bring work and show the editor, which is like very unique. Um, there's very few publications that you can just that, show up and is that have like a meeting. old school or yeah. that's yeah yeah they, um, they don't do that that way. everything's digital send it yeah um, but you can go meet with the editor every week how so. quickly after you did that did they come to you and say let's do this oh I mean that first meeting was did not go disaster very well. it wasn't a disaster <laughs> it was the last week that the old editor was there and he definitely was not in a good mood the cartoonist. She went in before me to meet with him, who had been there many That's times. That's not fair that you walk into like a crap situation. He came out crying. Yeah, I was. <laughs> the guy before the you guy came before out crying. The guy before me came out crying, <laughs> and I like it. I didn't know the format. I just brought a bunch of random papers. I was ready to show that weren't necessarily cartoons, but I just come in. I'm like, here's my work, and he looked through everything, picked up a couple, laughed, and then. And then at the end, he, t he said, so is your style a choice or a limitation? Ah, and, and of course, I was like, it's a choice. And obviously, like, I can adjust my style. And, um, and I left and or he told me he didn't take anything. He said, clean it up, come back. Which, in my head, was like, he hates it. <laughs> and then I called my friend, and they were like, you know what? He, he told you to come back. Like, yeah. for the editor of The New Yorker to say, come yeah. back? It's not He knows how not to not worst. say that. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I, never, I never went back. But I did send things in digitally when Emma, the new editor, took over. And the first piece was I was just sitting in Tompkins Park sketching people. And it just popped into my head to do a, like people watchers guide for cool. New York City Parks. Um, and that was the first piece they took. And yeah, and then I was just pitching. Nice. Um, do you feel that you could or should be a little more aggressive about submitting work or keeping in touch? Is it on you or you're doing that and they're not picking it? I mean, I sound like point, your dad now. Yeah, I. I I would like to. For a while, I was sending in panel submissions every week, which is, <clears throat> it's a lot to, to think of 10 panels yeah. a week. It's work. Um, and now that I have the bar, it's harder to find time to do that, but yeah, I do want to. I mean, you'll find the time. Yeah. Um, I was just curious, because, you know, it's hard to avoid this question with guests for the last almost two years and it's you know how did the pandemic affect your life and work we're going to talk about the wine bar mm -hmm. did it delay that did it create that um didn't you have plans of traveling abroad that may have changed what you were doing now mm -hmm. if you did it i mean what were the major effects on the pandemic good um, and bad yeah i mean we had planned to open before we actually opened our bank account the day before everything shut down and we were planning on starting construction. So that all got delayed, but we were originally just going to open the, the indoor, the, out, the downstairs section and focus on the roof next summer. And then with the pandemic, we decided we need to open the rooftop. 
um, which I'm, I'm glad we did. I think that has been a big difference and definitely. So delay was the major delay and the environment that people weren't and it was, doing I mean, much. Yeah, we were in the process of finding investors at that point, right. and that's like people to ask people for money for a bar during a pandemic was not no. easy. No. Um, I was also supposed to go to Paris for like a little inspiration trip right before around around March when I could have gone, but probably would have gotten stuck there. Yeah, that didn't happen. Um, So typical in a lot of ways, you know, just just, what the pandemic did affected, you know, your plans. Um, We have to take a break first. And when we come back, I want to talk about, we've been cryptically talking about rooftop bars. and <laughs> I want to talk very specifically, and, you know, we've mentioned the name, but we'll get very much into it. You broached this subject, um, I think, when you said you started bartending. But what was that point? Was that the point where you recognized wine, and was it natural wine, or was wine, and then you realized natural wine was a thing? Um, when did, when did that happen? Was that the bartending thing and it evolved after that? Um, it, it. Cause you said you didn't drink much wine before that, right? It, I mean, yeah, I drank Socially. wine as, as yeah. any, so, anyone in their yeah. early twenties drank wine. But so when was that kind of passed through the portal? I think I ended up, I made, I made friends with another wine bar owner and ended up spending a lot of time with her and going to a lot of tastings. And I think seeing that part of it, the behind the scenes part and the industry um, got me interested in it. And just like realizing how each bottle is different and each story is different and um, what goes into making the wine that captured your attention yeah it was the storytelling for me um that 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 sort of is the top answer i mean it's more than a bottle and a liquid it's not even the grape it's the people and the farm and all of that you know how they do that um the bar you were working at was it a wine barish place or a dive barish the first first bar i worked at was home sweet home okay so definitely dive dive but then i i was working at this like beer bar for a while and then last summer after after covid i ended up working at sauced in brooklyn which is wine bar natural wine bar um and that definitely taught me a lot yeah um i had i had been planning on opening cherry on top before that um but that was when i really like started learning so it happened fairly recently and pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Cerise Elenitz. Um Everything we talked about up until now, we will tie together. We will talk about Cerise's new wine bar in Bushwick, right around the corner. Um, what's going on there? What kind of wines? She actually brought in a wine, a special cuvee they made, which we're going to taste later. So you're listening to The Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. 
Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? Otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. Our master cheesemaker program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Cerise, Cerise Zelenitz, Vermont born, now New Yorker, uh, illustrator, artist, talk about her book later, but now a wine, natural wine bar open, uh, <laughs> owner. So we talked about before the break how you got into it. Was this something burning in you? Is this an idea like, hey, I should, not like I got to, but I should do this or this would be fun or mm -hmm. cool. I mean, tell me how the early ideas of we will now reveal, even though we did cherry on top, which is your wine bar. Mm -hmm. Tell me how that. Um, yeah, so it started when I went to Boston with the owner of Oddfellows and um He's into natural wine. We ended up, I was working on this mural, and then we went to this wine bar after. Um, and we're just talking about doing something near their factory so they could have a, a space to drink. And in my head, I thought they wanted to open it, and I would help design it. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. Came back to New York, and he was like, okay, so you need your business plan. You need your investors. And I was like, oh, so this is my project. And wow. at that point, I was like, why not? The, the idea of creating a space is always something I've been wanting to do, breaking out of 2D medium. Um, and I've, I've done a little bit of product design, furniture design, um, just tying everything together and creating somewhere for people to... What was the most sort of unnerving thing like the business plan the business part oh, yeah. of it i mean the concept you kind of saw floating around in your head yeah the, the concept came pretty quickly um the name i just woke up in the middle of the night and i was like oh this this is it all right um, so i was going to ask you this later on but let's talk about the name so the wine bar is called cherry on top it's about a month old it's in brooklyn it's gotten a lot of good notices um, that's how I found out about Cerise and the wine bar. Um, so Cerise and Cherry. So how did you get the name Cherry so, on Top? For for a while I was thinking of using a French name, playing with bad translations, which is something I... Like something bistro but funny and like, like I was cryptic. thinking Cerise sur la Toile, which is like 
Cerise on the roof directly, okay. which like Not doesn't bad. make sense. Um, but then, I mean, the fact that it used to be an ice cream factory and there's a rooftop and my name translates to cherry in French, it all just sort of fit together, cherry on top. And the color is red and white and green. Um, I wanted to use green and white because it's the the wallpaper in my apartment my grandmother <laughs> put in in the 50s. All these, like, Little inspirations detail, yeah. and things you've been staring at most of your yeah. life. Um, so it all, it all just fit together. And I used to, when I was, like, five years old, I used to sign my name as this distorted double cherry. So that became the logo. Um, Very cool. So there's, like... There's a lot personal of personal history. Yeah. Go back for a second, because earlier we talked about you were, you know, you're an illustrator, artist. You did work for Oddfellows. Um, who's the guy, Amir Nathan? Is he your... Amir is my operations partner. He, he, Who um, was the Oddfellows guy? Mohan Kumar. Mohan. Yeah. So Mohan played a big part yeah. in really, in a lot of ways, the physical structure, the inspiration, dumping the challenge on mm-hmm. you. Um and maybe you were scared, but it seemed like it never unnerved you. Yeah, I mean, I was very lucky in, in having him because he's done this so many times and he helped with the whole business plan, with the projections. Um, there's no way I would have done this without a having business him, guy without, who yeah. opened and ran businesses. Yeah. So that's then, like a mentor. That's like a good yeah. thing. No, he's been great in the fact that he was like, you can do this. He believed in me. Um, so you're about a month into it. Were the bumps in the road manageable or the, forget the pandemic yeah. for a minute. <laughs> I mean, is everything manageable? It's like, okay, this happens. I could deal with it or yeah, things are going I mean, fine. I, I also have a, a great operations partner who's taken on a lot of the, the business aspect. And obviously there's bumps. There's always bumps. But yeah. it's been, yeah, we figured it out. So far, not so let's it. talk about the figure out parts. So now we're talking about the wine bar. You obviously had an idea. What was the vision you wanted to execute? A lot of your inspirations, but did Paris play into it? I mean, what were the things that you know you wanted to see? Yeah. I mean, i i wanted I wanted to do something different. First of all, i I think different than what? Different than other New York wine bars. Um, and I just, I I mean, Paris was a big inspiration. There's so many bars there that I have spent so much time for places like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, you just feel at home there and you just want to sit and talk to the bartender and try different things. And it's cozy, it's welcoming. And I think that it's hard, harder to find that in New York. It's a whole different feel, whole different industry. Um, so that's what you knew you wanted. That's what I want. I wanted to, yeah, make something that's approachable, too. And you can learn about wine, ask about wine. You don't feel bad about asking questions. Um, because I, I mean, I was lucky enough to have friends in the industry, so I got to ask them questions. But it is intimidating walking into some of these bars and you feel like you just have to accept whatever they give you because you don't know what It's not supposed you're doing. to be in the natural wine yeah, world, it but be. I think it's easing up a little. Um, the why Bushwick question is because of the odd mm-hmm. fellow existing uh, yeah. building. Um, when he talked about his building, did Bushwick make sense? Like that's 
a neighborhood and a place? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny because when I moved to New York around 10 years ago, I spent a lot of time in Bushwick and it was a whole different world. Um, but it has changed a lot. The natural wine scene is is becoming very apparent um, in this area and there's a lot of space. Um, yeah. And just the fact of being able to have a rooftop yeah, that's pretty awesome. Is yeah, was a big in, selling in point. Manhattan, um, that's tough or expensive. Yeah. Was this the opportunity for you to merge important things like wine, art, mm-hmm. food? I mean, is this place an example of the convergence of all those things? Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely it all came together. I think, I, my life has been building up to it in a way. I I've always like like trying different things out and done a lot of different random jobs that don't really seem like they're building to a career but when this opportunity appeared it it was like oh I can use my graphic design skills and my wine knowledge and my love of cooking and storytelling so so graphic design you had a heavy hand in it right you helped make the bar I mean the walls are basically your yeah. Not just art, but design. Right? Yeah, I mean, my paintings are directly on the walls. I curated the other artwork. Um, I made the menus, did the layout, made the font. Um, all the flyers are mine. The whole social media presence is me. Um, I got to curate the the plants with the help of this amazing gardener um plant selection yeah on the roof we have like every kind of herb we have do you use them for yeah we're using them in our in our menu very cool um all right so let's talk about the bar and the wine Um, how much of a hand or was it you who put the wine list together I mean, I, I I do have a wine, technically wine director who work. You guys work together. We work and together, and um, yeah, I'm very lucky that we we have similar tastes and we'll do tastings. And so then, what was your thinking? I think we covered a lot of it. It's it's natural, which is really. You fill in the blanks. I mean, it's organic, biodynamic, I mean, small producers. Give me that whole thing. Yeah, the stories. It's, like it's not hundred percent biodynamic. It's, right, you're not. That's not really my focus. It's it's more about unique wines that are well made that have stories. And I think my palate has changed a lot since I got into this world. And what, where was the change? I mean, it when I when I first started liking natural wines, they were like the super barnyardy, funky, funky. and now I'm like I want. Really nice, classic Shannon, and um, just like there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with. I mean, I I still love some of the funkier. Yeah, but there's so many ways that that can manifest itself. It's not all barnyardy. No, no, I know. Um, I know there were that, that was an old argument. You know that they didn't travel well, or you know they weren't consistent. Yeah. Yeah, but that's true but with anything. But in there's life. so many variation in flavor profiles that I didn't even realize when I got into it. I thought it was either like super earthy or just like super clean. And there's 
wines that taste like like black pepper. There's wines yeah. that taste like ocean water. There's yeah. wines like that Cabernet taste Franc's like profile is yeah. totally different than you know a uh, Merlot. Yeah. Um, so regionally. Does this fall to heavy uh, a heavy francophile list, or you're not necessarily actually surprisingly <clears throat> no. When we when we started building the list, I picked out way too many Italian wines, and I think I did. Why do you, a, why do you think? I mean, I ended up I did a a residency at a vineyard in Italy a couple of years ago, and that was also a life changing experience. Um, just being able to see the process of making the wine and the culture. And um, I think there's... So when you were in Italy, wine was on your radar. And yeah. you realized Italy is as good a country as any yeah, for I mean, wine and certainly for the natural wine movement. Yeah. They've been doing it as long as anyone. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of character and, and history and personality that comes through in Italian wines. Like the... Um, yeah, you just... You feel like you're in Italy. There's more emotion. I think it's the way Italians talk to versus the way Very much French so. people talk. It's Very much so. That's, it's not as I'm starting to back. feel that in Portugal and Spain, yeah. too, which is nice. All right, so there's, um, you have Italian wines, you have French wines. What else? I mean, I what mean, are you trying to do with the well, list? Is it seasonal? Is it what's available? It's exploration. Um, there's no your exploration, focus. right? My I mean, exploration, you're living vicariously through this it's list. Travel. Now. It's all about travel. I mean, we have wines <clears throat> from Greece. We have wines from Mexico. We have wines from Armenia. We have wines from the U.S. I'm trying to broaden or bring in as as so you're many. Open to anything. Yeah. Are you worried about price? Like, I gotta. I don't think it'd do well if it's sold over a certain price point. Do you look for? Not cheap, not inexpensive, but what's a good value that makes sense to the consumer? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I look for value, but there's honestly so many less expensive wines that are so well-made that just so people don't know about because they're not the wines that everyone wants, which is sort of what I'm looking for. The more, like, smaller farmers that don't have big representation and they make very good small batches of wine and... Um, so to that point, is it hard to get the smaller guys because the production's limited? You know, and now you and I will agree that natural wine is more popular. Um, you're not the first or last place to open up, you know, a bar like this. Can you get what you want or is it about finding what everyone else isn't doing and trying that? You know, like what's Frank Cornelison, you know, everybody wants that. I mean, is it important to have that or not? I mean, can you get what you want? Um, I think it's, I mean, it takes more research and more tasting and um, it's a lot more involved, I think, than picking the wines that you know will sell that are allocated. And we have, we do have some, some allocated wines, but. Um, I mean, it's not hard to to purchase them because they're not. They're available. They're available. Um, it just because takes, you are takes getting away from that allocated stuff in a way, yeah. but you're more interested in them. Are we talking about like the whole importers and distributors? 
that are the big names or do we start getting into smaller guys like we've had von Bowden on the mm-hmm. air and um palinkery and you know all these small guys are those the guys a friend of mine just left grand crew and he started a smaller mm-hmm. are, are those the guys that have the wines or every i mean i'm i've been tasting with bigger bigger reps smaller reps like if a rep I've never heard of wants to do tasting, I'm usually open to it. Um, but within bigger books, there are also um, winemakers that, like, you wouldn't see on a on, on a list in a trendy wine bar. That I'm I'm interested in. Yeah, it's it takes more time to wade through everything and. Um, but I'm working with bigger books, smaller books. Um, so when you walk in there, it's more, more about how you curate it and that you're open to anything. I mean, you have a direction and a vision, mm-hmm. smaller producers, stories and all that, but you're not looking for allocations. Um, so people really, they come in and they should be open to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, try, don't ask for Yeah, I mean, I'm also, I'm trying to satisfy every category of wine yeah. and have have well, something that, that everyone will like that, I guess. yeah and it's i mean the, it's nice the the more time we are open the more we see where we need to see where the gaps are and um yeah you have to pay attention yeah sometimes people are like i get it but it's not what i want yeah exactly you, you gotta have something no you're right you and know, I know that my my taste isn't what everyone wants yeah. to drink all the you time. You can't open a store entirely on your taste. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what about food? You doing light food? Yeah, we have we have a snack menu we just updated for fall. Um, one of my partners is a chef, so he worked with me on the menu, and it's also based on travel and just that idea of the Parisian wine bar where you can go and and have snacks but feel like you've actually eaten and it's not just you could call it a meal and a few drinks other than i had a snack where do i eat now exactly you could could leave being satisfied not feeling like you so there's a there's a recognition of the food and the wine and the wine and the food Mm -hmm. right so the snacks complement yeah they're built that way yeah it's definitely very important to me also, one of my, my big um, requirements was that we have a free snack that you get. When like you when you sit, sit down, down and get a down, glass, they'll push a bowl of... We got olives. We have olives right now. We might change it at some point. But okay. um, it's just the Something to nibble. Something to and make you feel welcome. I think it, it it's important. It's small, but... Nowhere in New York really does that. Just to just like a little welcome, like yeah. have a seat. Here's a snack. Um, hospitality. It just makes you feel at home a little more. I like. That. Um, and then the yeah, the snack menu. It's all um, twists on things, and we have like a beetroot pickled egg that's topped with aioli in this. Bonito, crispy Flake. shallot mixture that we came up with, and so typical of you, it's not traditional. Yeah, you see um, things a certain way, and that's how you want to present it. 
Um, all right, so the name of the bar is called Cherry on Top. It is in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Cerise, what is the exact address? 379 Saddam Street. 379 Saddam. You can go in and sit inside, or you can go upstairs and sit on the bar. Snacks, food, uh, interesting wine, small producers, nice lean towards natural, you know, type wines. Um, <clears throat> last question, by the glass. You have, important. By, yeah. by the yeah, glass yeah. program? yeah, yeah. I mean, are there wines that are by the glass that are not available, you know, by the bottle? I mean, do you We have everything by the glass is available, is available by the bottle, okay. but we try and keep that rotating pretty consistently so people can try new wines by the glass. So what's the thinking? You get the wines and then, okay, we'll put these by the glass, or do you say these are good by the glass? And, of course, we'll make them available. I mean, because... Some people's buy the glass programs. There's not a lot of thought put into it, and others are substantial, you know. Well, definitely. I mean, right now we just have a, a couple of each color by the glass, but we definitely think about if it's stable, if it's if it will open up over time, um, if we have a few in each category, how they differ from each other. We want to keep it like we don't want two whites to be the same we right. want you to be able to try different things and keep it interesting yeah um you're a wine guy that's helping you where where did he or she come from he um he's a friend he right now he's he works with wilder and ultra parody so so he's had a lot of experience that's, in this my friend jorge came out of there and then sam anderson was there mm. good people come yeah they're very focused on one, yeah. which is a nice thing. Um, all right. Is it fair to say you fulfilled one of your goals by writing a book about a subject matter that you like? Didn't you write a book recently? Yeah, I've been I've been writing it. The Sound of Scrambled Eggs is what? Sort Sound of a of compilation eggs. of all these thoughts and short stories. It's, it's, it's also it's, it's a compilation of short stories based on food memories and spans from my childhood to more recently when I think the last story was New York but after my time in Paris and um, are some of these stories like 8, 10, 12 20 years old? yeah yeah. it's the first sort of a diary is, in a way yeah um, first one is is there a pattern the way you set it up? is it chronological? it's chronological it... I, I played around with the formatting a lot um, but decided in the end to do it chronologically at first I didn't even do it in the first person because I was like oh it's kind of about me and then um it is about me it is about me yeah it's about me I can't pretend it's not yeah um I would guess I haven't seen it normally I do but everything happens so quick I would gather there's a lot of illustrations in there there's each each um each story has a little illustration it's it's very like I wanted to keep it simple formatting and it's a it's about fifty pages long, um, but the, I did the cover design, um, got it printed in Tribeca, so it's printed in New York. Where do we find it? It's at the bar. Okay. Um, so that's and a good... also on my website. Okay, so um, the sound of scrambled eggs, Cerise's book. Stop by the bar and pick one up, or go to her website, which is fun anyway, fun in a good way. <laughs> All right, nobody leaves the studio alive without answering our wine list. 
five questions that we pose to everyone, the same five questions for the past four or five years and 200 guests. Spontaneous. Don't dwell on these answers. Don't overthink them. Please be scared because <laughs> I want those adrenaline yeah. answers, okay? This is easy. Don't worry about it. All right. So first question is, what are you drinking now? What's in your fridge? What are you tasting for the wine bar? What's caught your attention? Did the change of seasons bring certain wines in? Give me a few examples of what's in your fridge with all that kale. But... <laughs> um... Man, I can't, can't you get can't, my... You can't stumble on this. I know. I just, I keep thinking about the new beachy wine that some people love, some people hate, but that's like that smoky red. Wait, um, is the maker beachy? Beachy, yeah. B-I-C-I? B-I-C-H-I. Oh, beachy. Okay. From Mexico. My bad. Right. Um, it's one of my favorite winemakers. They make these super smoky. Is that, um, what's that? Peninsula called. Uh, is it made, you know, south of California on that peninsula? Oh. Or is it made? I can't oh, believe I I'm blanking. Tecate. Is it Tecate? I think it's Tecate. Okay. So a Biche Red? Biche Red. They um, have a new new cuvee, Mystico, that I love. Um, what else? What else? Give me one other one. You're struggling worse than anyone I can remember I in the know, last two. No, you made it. Give I me mean, there's too many. It's so hard. Anything um, at the wine bar that's like, whoa, give me all another All of them. Well, all the, he- the Helios good is super cool. Helios? Um, is that one Greek, of the Greeks? Greek, yeah. It white has this, like, red? rose water. It's white. Um, very, like, elegant. Has a hint of, like, rose water. And is it... I'm not saying this because you're using the word rose, but is it a white wine or is it almost a white rosé? Skin contact? It's no, it's it's white. It's a skin t- contact white. No, it's it's not it's skin not. contact. Yeah, okay, it's just, so it's kind it's of white. this elegant, kind of cool wine. Yeah. All right, those um, are good. I could Let's, I could go on, but well, if you think of anything, throw it in. All right, <laughs> you love food. You grew up around food. Favorite wine and food pairing. Something you don't necessarily eat all the time, but something that has a little history with you that is just like, oh yeah, this is it. Oh, history. I mean, immediately I, I just thought of the pop up we did the other week with um, Dina and Q, um, two chefs from Racines and Wilder, and they made this muscle toast with saffron aioli that I paired with this um, Maldición Spanish skin contact that has this like it's a malvar grape so it has this like sherry caramel quality and that was like the perfect pairing is the sherry a little nutty that has like yeah, of it? nutty caramel so it's a muscle toast which is a marinated muscle mm-hmm. and then the wine was did you tell me something specific or Mal- ta- maldicion that's um, the maker that's the, that's the cuvee name Let's spell that. Do we know how to spell that? M-A-L-D-I-C-I-O-N. Okay. Maldicion. And the grape? Malvar. M-A-L-V-A-R. And from Spain? From Spain. Okay. I'll be glad to tell you nobody's ever given me that answer before. So you did good. It's a new one. <laughs> All right. Obviously, there's been a pandemic. You've been caught up with your own venture. But do you have a favorite wine restaurant or bar in the East Village, out here in Manhattan? Is there a place? Like, I think I would go into Cherry on Top and go, yes. 
They kind of know what they're doing. <laughs> Not kind of. They know what they want to do with mm-hmm. the wine list. The vibe is great. They come over. They know what they're talking. This is a cool yeah. thing. What, anything like that to you? I mean, my my hangout is um, Ten Bells and Lower East Side. There's one in Bushwick, And now, right? now in Bushwick because it's so close. But the is one it in anywhere Lower near Side, your place? It's a few blocks away. Is it? Yeah. Look at Bushwick. It's becoming a... It's and becoming then I saw someone spot. else maybe opening something. Yeah. I forgot what, and I don't know if you saw it, but who cares? We love people doing yeah. the same thing. We're All right, so famous. Ten Bells... Anything else like that, or we go with ten bills? Um, I mean, there's a bunch in in New York, or in, cause if, if we're in Paris, then I have. Give me your favorite Paris. I mean, Martin is one of my favorites. What's it called? Martin. M A R T I N. Um, the Les Enfants de Marche and the Marche des Enfants Rouge, the little yes. seafood bar. That's one of my favorite. Yes. Marie Celeste, my friend, owns it. I actually did an illustration for them. Um, where else? I mean, those yeah, are good. Paris, I could. Those are them. good. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had a woman named Rachel Signoron. Mm. Rachel wrote a book about being in Paris and then meeting a natural winemaker and now raising a girl in mm-hmm. Australia. But she very much was embedded in that scene that was important. That, that I sensed the same feel mm-hmm. from you. You know that these yeah. places and Paris was definitely a natural wine bar bastion. Mm-hmm. Early on. All right. Fourth question. Oh boy, this could be trouble for you, but you'll figure it out. <laughs> Favorite all time wine. The question originally was posed Cerise, what is the most expensive rare wine you ever had? Who cares? What's the wine? And think back to the interview of different times. We, what's the wine that was a gateway wine mm-hmm. that was significant, that made an impression on you? Is there a wine or two out there that's just important to you? It's funny because the, the gateway wine and also the most expensive wine, I, I had this. I have one friend who got me into natural wine, um, and he, he introduced me to Close Fontaine Fougere. Which was like the first natural wine that I F O N T I N E? F A N T I N E. F A N T I N E. F A U G E R E S. Fogere. Yeah, Fogere. And that was the first. That made an impression. That made an impression. But the other night he came into the bar and we have this bottle. We have two bottles of it the Oulamp. It's hand blown glass bottle, handmade cork, beautiful. What is it? 100% more ved from Languedoc. Um, we opened a bottle, and that was a, that was one of the most expensive natural wines I've had. And it was the same friend. So um, wait, wait, did you say what it was? 100% more ved. That's what it's called. No, it's called Ulamp. Spell. U L L A M P. You did the, say that. The name I didn't of know the what donkey. You were talking about. Yeah. It's okay. A, um, but so that yeah. that's. Two of the coolest wines. Yeah, sounds like same it friend. Yeah, Th- those are good ones. I haven't mentioned this yet, but we post all your answers on social media, and like every other guest that preceded you, we have a, a database. You could go back to Instagram mm. all the way back and look at everyone. All right, final question, and you should be able to answer this because you're in the biz. And the question is: Give me your recommendations for best wine around fifteen, twenty bucks retail. And the setup always is I have kids in their 20s. They're adults now. 
they can't show up at a party with a crappy supermarket wine um, or give a gift, mm -hmm. but they sort of can't afford 45, 50 mm -hmm. bucks. So how do you impress and woo for 15, 20, 22 bucks? Give me a red, give me a white. You could do category yeah. like Muscadet is cheap and good, but what do you, what do you got? Um, I mean, the, the red we have by the glass now, we have this red vino verde that's super cool. Very inexpensive. Can you buy um, it retail? I'm sure. I don't know where. Right, though. think retail. Think accessibility. So that's a not be Uber accessible. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. We'll talk about that in a second, though. Let me see. What are good value wines that you serve? I haven't, or I haven't bought wine at a wine shop in a in a long time. Yeah, but you know what you pay for certain things and. You know, you know the retail and the markup and all that, or the wholesale to the markup, which is your retail. Um, I mean, still the the close Fontaine Fougere is, is that, around twenty thirty. Okay, maybe a so little I'm more. gonna put that down. Um, it's a great wine. What else is accessible? Like you may or may not like Muscadet, but it's not expensive, oh, and with a good great. maker. It's a good something yeah. like that. I mean, is there anything you know, red or white, that falls in those categories? Additionally, I mean, I think there's like, I think a like a sort of typical vino verde, classic Portuguese, yes, um, or a Pepeno, um, Chilean, usually pretty yeah. cool. Actually, Pepeno is a good one. Now you're thinking. Um, All right, yeah. we'll, we'll go with those. But I'm gonna haunt you and pester you. I'm gonna. It's gonna keep. I'm gonna keep thinking and of answers. I want. And I like, want to oh, follow up on that too. question. I'm gonna text you or something and say, "Now that you've thought about it, all right, those are good answers. Very good. Not to make you feel <laughs> you were more than good on those. Um, all right, we wrap up the show every week with a segment called the Weekly Wine Sip, where I ask my guests to bring in a bottle of wine that reflects who or what they are. Um, you have a wine bar. I said, Cerise, bring something in that's sort of a um, reflection of your thinking and what you're serving there. And to my delight, it went even further. There's a winemaker named Swick, Joe Zwick. You've done some work for him with his labels. But you and him collaborated on a cuvee that you serve by the bottle and the glass mm -hmm. there. Is it by the glass, yeah, too? we have it by the glass, too. All right. So take it away. Describe to me the wine, when it was made, the blend, and then we're going to evaluate it. So and I'm I, getting up to get more. <laughs> I actually um, went to his vineyard this spring and got to taste through all of his barrels and pick the grapes that I thought would work the best in this blend and came, came up with this sort of Unique, I mean, definitely unique, sort of bizarre combo of Cinso, Biodynamic Nebbiolo, and Malbec Rosé. Um, and they were each very specific to me. I tasted the Cinso and had this feeling of Vermont nostalgia and, like, sawdust. Just the Cinso straight trees. up. Yeah, the Cinso okay. and then the Nebbiolo. So you said that could be an element of... Yeah. Um, I, had to, I had to taste through everything twice to decide on the three um but the the malbec rosé had this very sort of light um buttery quality that reminded me more of more of the paris element and then the nebbiolo was this sort of 
it was biodynamic, so it was like a little effervescent, a little more barnyardy. Um, and I think together it just turned into this really cool light red with notes of cherry, but also this like there's a cherry on the label. Earthy. I don't get the sawdust, but I get the earthy. All right, so it is the cerise. What do we call it? It is the cherry on top. Sweet cuvee, cuvee yeah. right? Okay, so let's do an evaluation, you and me together. So the first thing is color. It's kind of got that translucent, uh, dark pink red. Mm -hmm. Nice color. It's uh, doesn't look filtered. You know, it's. Mm -mm. Not clear. Yeah. Doesn't. I love that. All right. I'm going to throw this to you. What do you get on the nose? You said a few things already. I mean, yeah, it definitely has more of a woody, earthy thing to me. Does any one of the three grapes stand out to you more than the other? I think right now I'm smelling more than a violo. Um That's the kind of earthy. Yeah. You know, that. Yeah. Nebbiolo and Barolo has that. All right. Let's take a sip, throw it over the tongue. Let's talk about mouthfeel for a second. So it's got a medium mouthfeel. It's not unctuous, which I like. It's not thin. Feels good going down. I'd say medium. All right. Now, taste. Do the descriptors we talked about on the nose reflect in the taste? What do you get on the taste? I mean, it, it definitely, it keeps that earthy nose, but it there's more cherry, uh, red fruit. There is that red fruit. Yeah. The fruit's prominent, and you would lean towards cherry, maybe. Not so much raspberry, maybe strawberry. Something not sweet. Mm -hmm. A little more tart than it's sweet, tart, which is yeah. cherry. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so this is, when was this bottle? This was I mean, does it have bottle. a vintage year? 20, 19? 20 no 2020 yeah last september yeah 2020 yeah so this is the 2020 cherry on top red blend cuvee made by cerise and swick this is an incentive and a motivation for you to go into the wine bar and taste it because it's pretty much nowhere else can't right? get it anywhere else nope um would you reveal what I'm paying for a glass for this? About? This is 18 by the glass. Okay. So that's pretty one of good. Our more expensive. Yeah. But... So there are wines that are less. Oh, yeah. Most of yeah. our wines but are. This is a unique, 12. limited, you know, cuvee. Limited. You're, you're, you're allowed to do that. Artistic. All right. Very good. I love it. It's my kind of <laughs> wine. Seriously. Good. Like Guy Fieri it. said on Driver's Diet, if you don't like it, shut up. <laughs> you know, if you like it, you talk about it. I like it. You know, it's my kind of wine. I get it. It's definitely a chillable red. <laughs> um, I would drink it a little chilled. Um, so that's terrific. And thank you for bringing it in. All right, Cerise, like I told you, we're running late. We got to wrap up. Let me do a quick wrap up and then I want to get some info from you. So if you have a question, suggestion, wine happening or event, hit me up at Sam at the That's Sam at the Subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Wherever you do get your pods, just hit the subscribe button. You know, as I've been saying the past few weeks, you wake up. And there's Cerise's interview waiting for you to be heard. 
Um, follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. On Instagram, we're at SBenRuby. On Twitter, we're at BenRuby. But you could always connect those dots by going to the hashtag The Grape Nation. Um, as I said, we will post Cerise's wine list, all those answers. And we will post specifics on the weekly wine sip, the terrific cuvee we tasted, on our social media sites. Cerise, two things. If we want to follow you, and if you're me, I would want to follow you. <laughs> so if you're my listeners, you would want to follow you. And where can we find more about Cherry on Top? Um, Cherry on Top, we have our, our Instagram. It's at cherry.on.top. Okay. NYC. But I think if you went to the thing and put cherry on top, I did you it. You would find right it, up. yeah. yeah. Um, so cherry on top on Instagram. And we also NYC have our website. Yeah, website, cherryontopnyc.com. Which uh, shows a lot of your artwork. It's very sort of a home page for all the stuff you're doing, too. Yeah, well, that's cherry on top. My personal website is cerisellenitz.com. Okay, Z-E-L-E-N-T-Z. E-T-Z. Right, E-T-Z. Did I not say that? Yeah, no. What did I say? C-E-L-E-N-T-Z. All right, say it again. Happens a lot. Come Z- on. C- Happens a lot. This is what I'm doing. I should get oh, no, it right. I mean, people never spell my name right, so. Z-E-L-E-N-E-T-Z. That's right. Yeah. Zelenitz. Um, right. Yeah. All right, so that's your website, the Cherry on Top website. Um, Instagram. Your personal Instagram? Is Unnecessary Observations. Explain that to me while I have you here. <laughs> It just stuck. Um, it did? I think. When did you start Instagram? Since the beginning. Um, How long ago was that? Like six years ago. Okay. And so it's it been just, around for a while. It, it's, yeah. All right. So that's where you could find all the skinny on Cerise. Before we go, I just want to tell you about some friends' events. Uh, Natural Wine Devotees Rejoice because on Monday, November 1st at Strong Rope Brewery on the waterfront in Red Hook, Brooklyn, Wild World, the Natural Wine and Fermented Festival, returns after a hiatus in 2020. An opportunity to taste wine, cider, beer, and fermented foods from around the country and the world. Tickets are available at www.wildworldfestival.com. And if that ain't enough... The Saturday before, on October 30th, Chef Zach Palaccio and sommelier Leela Holland are bringing back their Hudson Valley Natural Wine Festival Peripheral this year. Peripheral will be held at Kitty's in Hudson, New York, pretty much of a hotspot for food and wine, which is across from the Amtrak station in upstate New York. Um, Tickets are on sale now at www.peripheralwine.com. So those are two cool events. Maybe you should go to one of them. I'll be at Wild One. Yeah. Um, thank you to our guests, Cerise Zelenitz. Thank you for coming in and Thanks telling us all the exciting me. stuff. Thanks to our engineer, Liam, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.